Yes, that, that was the right passage because I wanted you to hear about the church sending letters. That's a little bit of what we're talking about today. I'm going to try and get this over here without dropping everything. Um, I am going to need a little bit of help from some of you guys today because of my laryngitis. If you've never been to a five-year-old's track meet, oh my gosh, it's adorable. But apparently it'll leave you like this if you're not careful. Um, I do have some books up here that I'm going to leave over here as well that you may want to look through. One is called The Open Generation, and this is about how teens view the Bible, um, a study that was done. I'll mention that. Christian History Made Easy, and then another one called Why Trust the Bible by Greg Gilbert, and I'm going to leave those up here uh, if you'd like to look at any of those. Well, I think it's fitting at this point in Holy Week to think about the end that was in mind for the apostles as, uh, as they were following Christ. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down, both in Rome. Andrew was crucified in what is now the Soviet Union. Thomas was speared to death in India. Philip was put to death in North Africa. Matthew was probably stabbed in Ethiopia. Bartholomew, there are like several different traditions. We're not exactly sure which one, but we know he was martyred. James was stoned and then clubbed in what is now Syria. Simon was killed in Persia. Matthias was burned. John was the only one from that original group. And of course, Judas was replaced. But John was the only one in that original group who was not martyred for the gospel, although he did have to survive uh, boiling in a pot of oil. Very cheerful, uh, wonderful things that we're thinking about there. But the question we need to consider is this. Why were these men willing to die rather than recant the claims that they made in the New Testament? Why were they willing to die rather than recant the claims that are made in the New Testament? And why has it been that way for generations? Generation after generation after generation. We're going to look at this this final section in Ephesians. Uh, We're going to be looking at chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. But before we do that, let's pray. God, be with us as we study your word. Holy Spirit, speak in our hearts now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the part where I need some help. Do we have a microphone anywhere that someone else can read? Okay. Or maybe some, maybe would, do I have any volunteers to just come use the lectern? I need somebody to read these, read some of these scriptures and quotes. Do you want to be my volunteer? Brandon's my volunteer. Okay. You can sit in the hot seat over there and just jump up. Would you read 21 through 24? I've got it right here for you. Do we have it on the screen? 
So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Uh, Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Thank you. So here is this final part where Paul is beginning to talk about um, this letter that he's sending and who he is sending it with and the confidence that he has in the one that he is sending this letter with. And as we ask this question, we're going to get into this, this idea of the letters. We, we want to ask this question, why were these people willing to die rather than recant the claims they made in the New Testament? It's clear, even in this passage, it's clear throughout the book that the reason is because they believed that what they wrote was reliable and it was true. It's a very simple answer. They believed that what they wrote was reliable and true. Now we are talking uh, specifically about the New Testament books. We're not talking about these apocryphal books. So you'll hear things about, you know, the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of Thomas, and different things like that. Those were all written. The earliest any of those were written was the second century. There, there is no apocryphal book in the New Testament that was written before the second century. And some of those were written much, much later. We know when they were written. And they were written well past the time of the apostles. Only the New Testament books were written in the time of the apostles. And they were either written by the apostles or they were authorized by the apostles. Every book in the New Testament today. And so these apostles who were the appointed messengers of the gospel, they were the ones who wrote or authorized everything we have in the New Testament. All these other books that you hear about around Easter came much, much later. But inevitably, the question comes, well, how do we know that this is what they wrote? How do we know that? Well, there are lots and lots of reasons. We could spend, you know, weeks and weeks going through them. We could talk about things like we have more manuscript evidence, so like old, old copies for the New Testament than any other book, in ancient book in existence. Um, we could talk about the geological evidence that's in here that, that uh, matches along with um, the, the geography that's described in Scripture, matches what we see in the world. Um, we could talk about extra-biblical evidence, other people who are either quoting the Bible or they're talking about things in the Bible, including non-Christians. There are lots and lots of reasons that we know that this is what was written. Um, We could even think about this. The fact that Christianity still exists should almost be enough to convince us about what was written in the Bible. And that is because the odds were so against this message carrying on. Um, I'm going to have you read another quote. If we have it. Do we have it? What? There it is. Yeah, there you go. 
There was a small group of 11 men whom Jesus commissioned to carry on his work and bring the gospel to the whole world. They were not distinguished. They were not well-educated. They had no influential backers. In their own nation, they were nobodies. In any case, their own nation was a mere second-class province in the eastern extremity of the Roman map. If they had stopped to weigh up the probabilities of, of succeeding in their mission, even granted their conviction that Jesus was alive and that his spirit went, to them, or went with them to equip them for their task, their hearts must surely have sunk. So heavily were the odds weighted against them, how could they possibly succeed? And yet, they did. So there were a lot of things against the, the message in this book, even being transmitted, there were a lot of things against it. And, and that is just one uh, reason that we know that, that what's in here is what they wrote. But here, I just want to talk about one reason today. And it's the reason that is touched on in this text. It's the reason that's touched on in what um, you heard read earlier from the book of Acts. And it has to do with letter writing and letter sending in ancient times. You, you heard a little bit about that process in Acts, but let's look at that a little bit more. So letter writing, the process in the ancient world was this. You probably wouldn't write the letter on your own, um, although sometimes you might, <clears throat> but usually you would dictate the message. You would hire a scribe, and you would dictate the message to them, and, and the scribe would have their, their read dipped in water and soot and uh, sap. And then they would write it um, usually on papyrus. Um, later, uh, you know, that's you know, paper made out of reeds. And then later on, they were using vellum, which is uh, kind of like paper made out of animal skin. And so they would write it. And then you would check over the message. You would make any corrections, um, anything that they, they had missed, you would, you would do that. And, and so it started in um, scrolls. Later on, um, it became uh, bound together in what was called a codex, which is kind of more, like more like a book. Um, and a lot of that was largely due to the fact that Christians, uh, want, they, were, they were transmitting these things. They were copying them. They were sending them around. They needed a better way of keeping it all together than these scrolls because scrolls um, were very expensive and they could be very long and if you had to have a whole bundle. So if you like reading books... Um, you can thank the Christians for that. Um, that's some technology that, that came from the church. So um, the information that was then in this letter told you whether, the, when, you, when you receive this letter, the information in it tells you whether the person is who they claim to be. So that is one way that you know if they are who they claim to be. So you're going to read the letter, and you're going to know something about the geography. Did they say go up to, to uh, Nazareth from Jerusalem, or did they say you go down to Nazareth from, from Jerusalem? Do they know the geography? Have they been to that area? You couldn't just Google it. You had to be there. You had to know. They're going to look at the people that you talk about. They're going to read that someone says Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and they're going to say, no, was he? Or did that come later on? They're going to know based on the people that you talk about. They're going to know based on your writing style. So sometimes somebody might uh, get a letter and they're going to know if they've 
heard from Paul before. They know how Paul writes. And so they're going to have some idea based on his writing style. And then they're going to know from other content in the letter. Like, hey, this person doesn't know anything about that. Why, why is that in the letter if they don't even know? Right? It's kind of like um, uh, the, the Body Snatchers. Y'all remember that movie? Like, you got you to gotta try and have a question that they don't know the answer to unless it's really them. Right? So that information that's in there is going to give some reasoning. It's a little bit like, um, you know, a man that I know who uh, was on a ship. He was in the Navy, and he'd be out on a ship for long periods of time. And his wife would write him a letter every day, and she would send it to him, and he would get it in a bundle. And so he would go through, and he would start reading through these letters, and they were ordered. And here is the thing. He could look in this letter, and he could know, based on what she was talking about around her in the geography, um, based on the people that she was referencing, the kids, the friends, he would know based on her writing style, this sounds like my wife, or, or if it didn't sound like his wife, he would know based on the other content in the letter. He could read the letter, and just based on the content, he could know if it was really written by his wife or not. Similar things going on in the scriptures, in these letters, these New Testament epistles. But it was time intensive. Um, a long letter when they used scrolls, <clears throat> you might have a scroll that's a long letter, and it would be 35 feet long if you unrolled it. It was time intensive. They wanted to get everything just right because you didn't have erasers on your, your, your uh, stylus there. Um, it was expensive. You had to buy the materials. You had to hire the scribe. You had to do all of this stuff. It was very expensive. And so you only wrote a letter if it was important. You only wrote a letter if it was important. Otherwise, you could just send someone to tell the message. Hey, when you get there, would you, would you tell them you know, what I said? You only wrote a letter if it was important. We see that in Acts we see that here in Ephesians. Paul feels like what he is writing is very, very important. You see that all throughout the epistles, that it is important for people to know the gospel. It is important for people to know that, that they can have peace, that they can have love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, that they can have grace that will be with them and all of those who love Christ. It was important for them to send that message to these people. It was important to share the information. It was important to have a record. It was important to have something that people could then copy and share, which was part of the intention of these letters. And they were copied and shared through the first and the 16th century. There are somewhere around 24,000 manuscripts. We have translations very, very early on very early on, people would look at a letter and they'd say, well, but my friend over here, he, he doesn't speak this language, he speaks that language and he needs to know. And so they would translate it. And we have some of those very early translations. And the message is still worth getting out today. There are over 5 billion copies of the Bible that have been made. Well, what about letter sending? You write the letter you get everything there, you write the letter. What about sending it? Today, it's a lot different. 
You know, um, just a couple of weeks ago, my wife was on the mission trip along with the Ireland team, and we could text, we could send pictures, she could send video of Grace and, and Penny out, you know, dancing together in the road, and it was amazing. She was 4,534 miles away from Amarillo, and we could do that almost instantaneously. A little bit different back then when Paul was writing. Uh, in fact, one person says this. <laughs> in a culture where the only postal service was for the exclusive use of government officials, letters <clears throat> often had to travel with relatively unknown people who had to be going in the right direction. Sometimes finding a reliable courier posed a problem. I've been slow about sending one a letter for lack of a safe messenger. Cicero wrote to Atticus in the first century BC, there are very few people who can carry a letter of weight without lightening it by perusal. So you had to have a good messenger. If you wanted to send a letter, you had to have a good messenger. You needed a reliable courier because you wanted to make sure the letter got there, but you also wanted to make sure the letter got there the way you sent it. And if you think about it, you know, we're kind of familiar with this concept, actually. If you think about the legal system today, um, there are certain types of evidence where you have to have what's called, what? A chain of custody. In other words, you need to know, hey, from the time this thing is picked up to the time it gets here, we need to make sure that there's, there's, some, there's a trustworthy process, that the same thing is here to there to show that it hasn't been tampered with, to show that something hasn't gone wrong, to make sure that it gets there. And if you don't have a good chain of custody, your entire case can get thrown out. Well, in Jesus' time, in Paul's time, the chain of custody for a letter was a trustworthy person. Here in verse 21, he says, so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother, and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. So here he is. He is sending this letter with someone that Paul knows, someone that they know. He's sending him with a verbal message. Hey, catch him up. Tell, tell him how we're doing. But then he's also sending him with this letter. And both Paul and the Ephesians know, they know that Tychicus is, is a beloved person. They know that he is a brother in the faith. They know that he is a faithful messenger. And so they know about what's coming, and they know when they get this letter that this is the letter that Paul sent, not just from the internal evidence, not just from reading it, but because of who Paul sent it with. And we know about many other couriers of Scripture. You just heard in Acts where Paul, where Paul himself is part of this messenger process. But we know about people like Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, Titus with a couple of others, Phoebe, the, the woman who took Romans, the letter of Romans to the Romans, Epaphroditus, Onesimus, real people in a real time, in real places who were known, they were named, and they were sent with these letters because they were trustworthy trustworthy messengers. We know about people who studied 
under the apostles and could confirm these letters that were passing around. One uh, person wrote this, which I'll have Brandon read to you. As a young man, he, Irenaeus, had sat at the feet of the local bishop, a steadfast witness of truth by the name of Polycarp, and who, so Irenaeus reported, had in his turn known the gospel writer John. And I remember how he spoke of his conversation with John and with others who had seen the Lord, how he would recite their words from memory and recall what he had heard from them concerning the Lord, his mighty works, and his teachings. So we have these letters that are being sent, these gospels that are being written, but we have the people who are writing them and receiving them, who are memorizing it, and they're teaching it to their students, and their students are saying, yeah, I I remember when John said this. I remember John talking about how Jesus did this. And so you you have these messengers who are taking the letters, and then you have the people who are sending the letters, who are confirming it, the people who are receiving the letters confirming it, and then they're passing that on down to their students. And we have their students writing about these letters and the content that's in it. And when we read it, we realize, hey, look, it's the same thing. You wrote about this 100 years later. You're you're referring to this, and it's the same thing. And so we know from incredible amounts of scholarship ancient and modern, we know that with some expected minor variations that don't change the meaning, we know that what we have is reliable. What we have is what they wrote. We we know that. And if you want to throw that out, then you need to start questioning Shakespeare, Aristotle, Plato, I mean, you got to throw out so much history because what we have here that attests to this is so far beyond that. But we know that what we have is reliable and what we have is they wrote. But here's the thing. I want to come back to this. They already knew that when they were killed. They didn't question that. They they didn't question, now, did I really write that, that Jesus rose from the dead? They didn't question it. They knew what they wrote, and that's why they were willing to die for it. They weren't killed for the writing. They were killed because they said, we wrote it, and what we wrote is true. Do people still believe that today? This study that I mentioned about youth and the Bible in 21 and 22 World Vision, um, uh, uh, Barna partnered with World Vision, and they investigated they, they did this study in 25 different countries. And of the youth in the world, 40% believe the Bible is good. 36% believe the Bible is true. 36% believe that the Bible provides a way to know about Jesus. And 35% believe that it is trustworthy. The church needs to be about the work of rising those percentages. Not just among youth but among our our even younger kids, among older generations. The church needs to be about that work. Just like the apostles, just like the martyrs, we need to be about that work of testifying that God's word is true. What we have today is reliable. It is true. And that's not just because of the faithful men and women who were careful about sharing it and preserving it, 
but also because God was sovereign in that process. Will you read a few scriptures for me? And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. <laughs> Thank you. I, I believe that this is the word of God, that this is the good news about Jesus, and that God wants this message proclaimed. It had to be shared then. It has to be shared now because the world needs this message now more than ever. As one person said, this is a gospel about hope from despair, reconciliation from betrayal, healing from trauma. It was a message amid the convulsions of the age to which many would find themselves drawn and for which some, as time would prove, somewhere estimates are, are above 7 million martyrs for this book, well above that. Some, as time would prove, were more than willing to die. I believe the message of this book, this message of, of hope, of reconciliation, of healing, this is a message that we still need today. So thank God that what we have is reliable. And the question for you is, do you believe that it is true? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you cared so much to send your son. But not just for the people that lived then. You did it for those of us here and now. That we can know you through your word. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to see things that have been unseen to us? Would you open up our hearts to be receptive to your gospel? Jesus, would you let us read this book and see the extent of your love for us and for those around us? And would you change us through it and cause us to be a people who love others the way that you do. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Please.